You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. takeover of the Solaris contraband market, Ukraine warns that Russian cyber attacks continue. An overview of the second half of 2022 ICS vulnerabilities, CodeSpace accounts can act as malware servers, blank image attacks, campaigns leveraging HR policy themes. Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf has tips for pros for security at home. Our guest is Jerry Gable from Strata Identity to describe a new open source standard that aims to unify cloud identity platforms and travel-themed phishing increases. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, January 19th, 2023. Happy Thursday to you all. It is great to have you here with us today. Researchers at Elliptic report that, as they put it, Friday the 13th was unlucky for the bad guys over at Solaris. Solaris is one of the biggest dark web drug markets, a principal successor to the old Hydra market, which was taken down in April of 2022. Last week, the rival dark web market Kraken, which has no connection with the legitimate cryptocurrency exchange of that name, compromised and took control of Solaris. Elliptic explains, Kraken attributed its successful takeover to poor operational security by Solaris admins, allowing the hack to take place over three days without notice. Logs apparently confirming Kraken's full control of Solaris were also shared. There's been bad criminal blood between Solaris and Kraken for some time, and there are signs that some of Solaris's criminal customers have also been dissatisfied with service they've received from the market. Both Solaris and Kraken are based in Russia. There's therefore a wartime angle to the story, and it suggests that criminal rivalries among Russian gangs have endured through their recruitment as cyber auxiliaries of the Russian security and intelligence services. Solaris is associated with the Killnet Patriot Hacktivist Group, which has become the most prominent Russian cyber auxiliary. Kraken is reckoned to be pro-Kremlin as well, 
but that hasn't inhibited it from taking a whack at its rival. The ineffectuality of Russia's cyber operations against Ukraine have been surprising. As we've had occasion to note, they've fallen short of the expectations set during half a decade of pre-war cyber attacks against Ukrainian infrastructure. But Ukraine wants to warn the rest of the world that the danger, while for now successfully being contained, isn't over. The Guardian reports that Viktor Zora, of Ukraine's State Service of Special Communication and Information Protection, is visiting Britain's GCHQ this week and has said that Russian cyber attacks have tripled over the past year and continue at a high rate. Interestingly, he said that, in some cases, cyber attacks supportive to kinetic effects have been seen. That is, Ukraine seen signs that Russia is attempting to integrate cyber operations and information operations with missile strikes and action on the ground. Mr. Zora's remarks are consistent with a report his agency issued earlier this week titled Cyber Attacks, Artillery, Propaganda, General Overview of the Dimensions of Russian Aggression. The report stresses signs that Russian attempts at coordinated operations have increased, that Russian targeting has been not just indiscriminate, but directed specifically and directly against civilians as part of an intentional campaign of terror. The document also makes the case that Russian cyber operations can amount to war crimes and that they probably have already done so. The cyber attacks have generally been parried by Ukrainian defenses, but they remain an enduring threat. The report ends with a call for more international cooperation against cyber attacks, whether by Russia or other authoritarian regimes, and notes the value of considering those states' military doctrine in forecasting their probable courses of action in cyberspace. It calls for international recognition of the ways in which cyber operations can constitute either crimes against peace or war crimes, and it urges an expansion and tightening of economic sanctions against Russia. Whether nation-state attacks against industrial control systems rise or not, it's worth taking stock of the known vulnerabilities and mitigating them insofar as that's feasible within a reasonable risk management framework. Sin Saber has published a report looking at ICS vulnerabilities cataloged by the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in the second half of 2022. The researchers found that 35% of vulnerabilities disclosed in the second half of 2022 don't currently have a patch available, and 33% will require a firmware update. Additionally, 43% of vulnerabilities were discovered by security researchers rather than the equipment manufacturers. The researchers also note that 22% of the vulnerabilities require local or physical access to the system in order to exploit. Researchers at Trend Micro have found that GitHub Codespaces, a cloud-based IDE that was released in November 2022, can be abused to create a trusted malware file server. The issue lies in Codespaces' ability to share forwarded ports publicly, which allows developers to preview their projects as an end user. The researchers write, We investigated the services offered by this cloud IDE and found that one of its features for code development and collaboration, sharing forwarded ports publicly, can be abused by malicious actors to create a malware file server using a legitimate GitHub account. In the process, these abused environments will not be flagged as malicious or suspicious even as it searches malicious content, 
such as scripts, malware, and ransomware, among others, and organizations may consider these events as benign or false positives. The researchers explain that attackers can easily abuse GitHub code spaces in serving malicious content at a rapid rate by exposing ports publicly on their code space environments. Trend Micro also notes that they haven't seen this technique used in the wild yet, but as a proof of concept, it's worth preparing for. Abnormal Security released research this morning on phishing attacks purporting to be from internal HR departments with policy updates in the new year. One of the attacks, a payload-based credential phishing attack, claims to be from the victim's company Human Resources Department, informing them of updates to benefits packages. The email asks for the review of an updated handbook, which would lead to a credential harvesting login page imitating Microsoft. And finally, as people return to travel as the pandemic ebbs, criminals are returning as well. Bitdefender has published a report looking at the prevalence of travel-themed phishing scams. The researchers found that 60% of all travel-themed emails sent between December 20th and January 10th were phishing attacks. Most of the attacks observed by Bitdefender targeted English-speaking users. They say, particularly, spammers push their travel-themed lures on English-speaking recipients, with 53% of correspondents targeting U.S. inboxes. The U.S. is followed by Ireland, India, the U.K., and South Africa. Germany trails at only 4%. Many of the scams impersonate airlines, including Southwest Airlines, Ryanair, Lufthansa, Air France, and American Airlines. These scams are designed to gain access to travel rewards and loyalty accounts. Bitdefender says, Airline loyalty programs are highly desired digital assets for cybercriminals, as they contain a wide variety of personally identifiable information on travelers and airline points that can be monetized on the dark web. So, travelers, you know what they say. Keep your friends close, your enemies closer, and your loyalty programs closest of all. Pretty sure that's how they say it. Coming up after the break... Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf has tips for pros for security at home. Our guest is Jerry Gable from Strata Identity on a new open source standard that aims to unify cloud identity platforms. Stick around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. 
Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Multi-cloud adoption continues to grow, with some reports indicating that the majority of organizations are making use of more than one public cloud service. This opens the potential for security and risk management challenges, since each of the cloud providers uses their own proprietary identity system and policy language. Jerry Gable is head of standards at Strata Identity, where they're leading an open-source industry standards initiative called IDQL, Identity Query Language, and Hexa Orchestration. So some of our founders and um, early management team, they were part of SAML, the Security Assertion Markup Language, from back in the early 2000s. That was one of the first standards for federated identities, so you could have single sign-on across different um, application domains. And so there's a lot of history and DNA within the company here to uh, really uh, not only um, embrace standards, but really support them in a significant way. And um, as the founders um, began Strata as an identity orchestration company, that deals with identity across domains, uh, primarily uh, authentication, but other aspects as well. In a multi-cloud environment, they realized that if you take it one step farther and look at access policies across a multi-cloud kind of environment, they realize there's no standard there. Every platform, it seems like every um, implementation of an application has its own way of doing access policy. So that was the, you know, the genesis or the um, motivation for coming up with IDQL or identity query language is, is an attempt to standardize or normalize that access policy across a multi-cloud environment where IDQL can be the single point of definition of access policy. And then we use the Hexa open source software to translate that IDQL format into the format of the target or bespoke system. And you have quite a, a number of folks on board here who, who, who have joined this effort. Uh, that's right. We have a mix of uh, uh, vendors and end users uh, that are part of the working group at the moment and, and a number of individual contributors as well. Can you give us some insights as, as to some of the technical challenges that, that go on behind the scenes here? I'm just thinking with the variety of uh, cloud providers out there, they all have their own proprietary standards here. Uh, it must be a, a bit of a puzzle to get them all uh, to get them all to work. That is, <laughs> that is spot on. It's, you know, it's definitely a big challenge. Uh, if it was easy, anyone could do it, right? Um, <laughs> and it's also why, you know, it's, it's a big commitment to really bootstrap this effort. 
uh, we started, uh, you know, the middle of last year and started looking at, you know, what, what's the right architecture for such a system. And then we, uh, we took the three main cloud platforms and started with them. And in each case, it's a lot of research, you know, looking into the APIs that are available for, for managing policy. You know, it's not about managing users, but managing roles and groups and policy formats. And a lot of research into those, uh, to that documentation and those APIs. And then on, on the software development side, uh, again, trying to experiment, uh, do a lot of trial and error to get things working uh, the way we want them to. So, uh, you know, that is a, gives you a sense of some of the challenges we've, we've come across and, and also that they are so different, right? Each platform, if you look again, just at the main three cloud platform providers, each of their APIs is so different and they have a similar but different mix of technical capabilities up and down the stack, whether you're talking about the IDP, the, you know, the identity provider functionality or how, how you authenticate to various kinds of proxies that can sit in front of applications. Uh, and yes, it's, it's a complex mix, but we're trying to, you know, take chunks that we can solve and work on them and just make continuous progress. That's been our, our, our approach so far. Yeah. I would imagine, uh, you know, along the way, uh, making sure that you're not introducing any security issues uh, on your own. That's that's quite true, and and this is where I think the CNCF model is very helpful. Um, you know, we're we're uh, a sandbox project at CNCF, the Com- Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and they really emphasize the security aspect. So we're you know, we're doing code scans, we're doing you know vulnerability scans, and uh, as well as staying up to date on any vulnerabilities that might affect the different components that we are working with. Because you're absolutely right. You know, we're dealing with the access policies to sensitive or valuable resources. So we don't want to introduce a new vector of attack in, in our work. You mentioned that, that uh, despite, uh, you know, Strata having a, a leadership role in this effort, uh, this isn't a product. This is an open industry standard. Um, why is Strata choosing to invest in this, to, to spend time in this project for the, the greater community? Yeah, well, we made the decision pretty early on when we decided to tackle this challenge that it's something that was bigger than, you know, just a commercial product that Strata could introduce. So we, we felt it was more valuable to contribute this to the industry rather than just to make, you know, another commercial product to address it. So that, you know, that was the basic motivation, not a, not a whole lot more to say to that, which, um, you know, we just thought it was bigger than the Strata itself. That's Jerry Gable from Strata Identity. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dinah Davis. She is the VP of R&D Operations at Arctic Wolf. Dinah, it's always great to welcome you back to the show. I want to touch base with you. Uh, I saw you and your colleagues there at Arctic Wolf had a blog post recently about uh, improving your security posture at your home. I think this is something worth visiting here. What do you got to share with us today? 
Yeah. I mean, we often think about hackers trying to come at a company like through company resources, right? But they're really going to try from every angle possible. And one popular way that they've been making progress is through people's personal accounts, right? So Hmm. even if we look at um, the May Cisco breach, the hacker there gained access to the employee's personal Google email account. This was really interesting. It wasn't just that they like reset passwords and stuff, but once they did that, they were able to get into their Chrome browser password store and Mm. extract all the passwords from there. One of which was really bad, which was the VPN access to their work, which like people... Your VPN access, any any work password should never be in a personal password store anyway, full stop. But again, this is why maybe using a Chrome browser or the Safari key password uh, store is not a great idea. Having things separated makes thing, makes it harder. Well, let's go through some of the things that really caught your eye here. What are some of the the ones that ro- that rise to the top of your attention? So you want to use VPNs as much as possible, right? So if you're at home, in a coffee shop, or anywhere that is not the office, um, you could be subject to a man-in-the-middle attack, which is when somebody is able to pretend they're actually your home Wi-Fi or your co- the coffee shop Wi-Fi and give you access to the internet through that, but see everything you're typing. So If that happens, if you're using a VPN, what a VPN is going to do is encrypt all the data going through. And so even if you are in the middle of a man in the middle of attack, wow, that's some inception right there, um, (laughs) you're going to be fine, right? So that's those are really important. Also, using MFA, multi-factor authentication, right? So even if they got his whole password store, if you'd have had MFA or a second factor authentication, it still would have been hard for them to get in, right? Right, right. I remember seeing a, a study from Google, it was probably a year ago now, where they, they said that people who put MFA on, like on their Gmail accounts don't get hacked. Like it wasn't like 90%, it was like 100%. It just, if you have a hardware key, you're probably good to go. Yeah, because like, Okay, I, I liken it back to uh, when I grew up. I, I grew up in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And uh, it happens hmm. to be the car theft theft capital of Canada, or it was in the 90s. Let's put it that way. I have no idea if it still is. <laughs> okay. Okay? <laughs> right. Um, and so what we used to do is like we had this thing called the club. And it was like this metal bar that you put across your steering wheel and you locked it and it made it so you couldn't turn the wheel. So even if they hotwired your car, they couldn't, they couldn't turn that wheel. Now, could they right. still get that off with like a massive saw or something like that? Sure they could. But if they're going down the street looking into the driver's seats of all the cars, the ones with the clubs aren't going to get hit because it's just too much work. Right? right. And I think that's the same right. principle that's happening when you put MFA on your accounts. Right. It, you've made it harder unless they really, really want you for a very specific reason. They're not going to bother. Right. Here's a good one that I failed at recently. Uh, secure your physical devices. So that means do not leave things on airplanes. I feel like there's a story here. Yeah, I might have just done that recently. It was very annoying. 
<laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. If you leave it on an airplane while it's in airplane mode, it's very hard <laughs> to get to. <laughs> but here's a good thing to do. Make sure you set up that emergency contact on the front of the phone because it will turn your air, the airplane mode off when they call you for 24 hours and you can get the device wipe in, find your phone, Google or iPhone in there. So it does happen. I wasn't worried when I lost my phone because I have all the passwords set. I have uh, MFA on my Google accounts. I was able to reach my phone and security wipe it. Uh, so it's not an issue, but it's still not something I would have liked to do <laughs> in the future. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever do that again. But when you're running for a connection, sometimes it's easy to uh, misplace some things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, leave that in that that pocket in the, the front of the seat next to you. I mean, it brings up a good point that I've I've heard people say when you're traveling, which is not to put all of your electronic eggs in one basket. In other words, you have your mobile device and it gets lost, you you need to have another device to be able to go and and try to change whatever settings you need to on that original device. A hundred percent. So, you know, I was able to log into my computer that I also had with me and, you know, get the device wipe. And then, you know, until I got my phone back, I was able to use my iPad for the key store, like, um, I was so happy that I had a, um, authenticator that backed up into the cloud. So, you know, like Google authenticator, I use a different one. I use right. the one that LastPass uses. Yeah. And so you can back it up into your LastPass account. I'm very careful not to use the same like password keeper app. So I use one password for my passwords and last pass for my authenticator. So they're in two separate systems entirely. Um, but I was able to, you know, pull that all up on my iPad and re relive. So I've had, I had very little disruption to my life other than not being able to receive text messages while the phone was lost and, you know, kept going and I wasn't really worried. All right. Well, good tips for sure. Dinah Davis, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. 
The CyberWire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.